Hello there, this is Mark Bauerline with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Dennis Prager again. Uh, he was with us a while back to talk about his lovely book on the, the Seder, the sacred meal. And uh, he, apart from his uh, life as one of the renowned political commentators and, and uh, uh, hosts in America, he is the author of a series of books in what is called The Rational Bible. And the latest entry being a commentary on the book of Deuteronomy. That will be our topic today. Welcome, Mr. Prager. Well, thanks for having me. This is my favorite subject. <laughs> Very good. Uh, first, uh, a general statement. What is the Rational Bible Project? I've been teaching the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, uh, for the last 50 years. Started at a very young age. I have a, a, a thorough grounding in biblical Hebrew, which is a, a big help. And when I began teaching verse by verse in the 1990s, and that's actually still available, people listen to it on uh, audio, there are 300 hours. Huh. I realized that half, although I was giving the course at a Jewish seminary, Half the people attending were not Jewish, and which made perfect sense to me. I have a motto in this regard that the Torah is, is for Jews is as illogical as Beethoven is for Germans. <laughs> either, either Beethoven is for everybody or he's not for Germans. Either the Torah is for everybody or it's not for, or it's not for Jews. So uh, after teaching that, I realized, and I, I debate how, how firmly to state this because it could sound um, dismissive and, and even arrogant, but uh, I will say it anyway and let the chips fall where they may. People need to be to have an explanation of biblical texts. Reading them on their own, especially a book like Deuteronomy with 240 laws, many of which seem esoteric, you, you need someone to explain them. But more than that, and this is where I believe my commentary uh, comes in, uh, it comes, comes as unique, or if not unique, pretty rare. It, it explains everything and shows why they're relevant to your life. Because if it's not relevant to your life, why read it? It has to talk to you about you. Not in a narcissistic manner, but it ha you, you have to 
learn something from it. Uh, oh, I will, I will have a better life because I now understand this. So I have done uh, Genesis and Exodus and Deuteronomy. I did not go in order. I started with Exodus, actually. It will interest you to know, I, I did not know this when Deuteronomy was finally published uh, a year ago. <laughs> it's very interesting that the, the founders of the United States cited the book of Deuteronomy more than any other religious or secular book. No, no Enlightenment thinker, no biblical book was cited as much as Deuteronomy. The, it is an incredibly rich but very difficult to navigate through. And I have a motto, another motto, I work hard so that the reader doesn't. <laughs> uh, I, I try to make everything as clear as possible And I have only one agenda, aside from it benefiting the reader's life, to make the case that it is divine in origin. Uh, It is so great, the first five books, and I only say that about the first five books, which, by the way, everything in the Old and New Testament rests on on the first five books, on the Torah. Every single one of the, of the Bible's laws are in those five books. The Ten Commandments are in those five books, both in Deuteronomy and in Exodus. The creation, the Garden of Eden, love your neighbor, love the stranger, love God. It is all in the first five books. That's, that's what Jesus, for Christians, that is what Jesus cited the second most. Psalms was number one. And then, by the way, it was Deuteronomy for him, too. Hmm. You, you go into, I mean, again, part of this is detail. In the book, I mean, you'll go down to the phrase level to issue commentaries upon it. You, you say that your favorite verse in the Bible is, quote, those who love God must hate evil. Well, why is that? Mm-hmm. Can't we just love evil, too? Hmm. Well... You're really asking, should we love evil doers? Uh, if you love evil, you're a monster. <laughs> Hitler loved evil. Uh, so uh, it, I don't know how you love good and don't hate evil. It doesn't make sense to me. You, I, I, I love goodness, but I'm, I'm neutral toward evil. Uh, it, it, it's it reminds me. Of a, of a saying I came up with many years ago, God has common sense. <laughs> there are many religious people, well-intentioned, lovely people, uh, who uh, make claims about God that are forget not biblical. They don't make they don't make sense. Uh, I'll give you one that Christians make to me because I have a very, very large uh, Christian uh, support base, and I am I am the the, the biggest non-Christian fan of America's Christians. I, I it's a sort of love affair that I that we have with one another. Uh, but I, I I've been broadcasting forty years, and I, I love dialoguing with people, especially those who differ with me. 
And so Christians will started calling in many years ago because I, I, I'm the only talk show host I know of with a non-religious show that talks religion a lot. And they would say, uh, all sins are, are equal in God's eyes. And, and I've heard this so often, and I, f- I finally have an antidote. There are gradations of sin, and there are gradations of good. That you know, raping a five-year-old is worse than taking the stapler from your office, though they're both sins. And, and yet, the number of people who will say to me, in God's eyes, every sin is equivalent because they're all rebellion against God. I mean, I, 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 can, I can repeat their conversations because so often I hear that. And, and that's analogous to, to this evil question where everybody heard, love the, love the uh, sinner, hate the sin. People think that's biblical, but it isn't. In fact, God says he hates the sinner. That too is in, 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 in the Bible. Not every sinner. He doesn't hate the guy who takes the stapler from the office. Uh, but there are levels of evil. I hope God does hate them. I, 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 I don't, I, by the way, this, this will turn off some of your listeners. I, I, but it's, I long ago always said, I have to say what I believe, whatever the cost. Uh, I, I hope it doesn't turn anyone off from reading my commentary. There are 5,000 reviews on Amazon, mostly Christians saying how it strengthened their faith. Hmm. So I just want to make that clear. But uh, when when I uh, hear the word unconditional love, the words, uh, I, I go, where the hell did you pick that up? That is a clear example of secular society influencing religious society. And I have proof. Google has a very interesting thing that most people don't know exists. You put in a phrase, Google will tell you how often it was used from 1900 to the, to the present decade. Unconditional love was unheard of in 1900. Hmm. Starting the 1960s, it's like, a, it's like a mountain. It goes like this, 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 and then all of a sudden shoots up in usage. The words weren't even used, not by rabbis, not by pastors, not by priests. It is a post-World War II notion, unconditional love, which I utterly and totally reject the idea that no matter how evilly you act, you are still loved, it, it is, uh, means that the only thing in the world we separate from morality is love. It's another example of a general condition that you also say in the book of our age is high in intelligence, but low in wisdom. Right. And the wisdom. Yeah, sorry. And and, and, and the Torah, the Torah is a is is a volume of wisdom. Yeah. The whole Bible is uh, exactly that. That is why uh, I. I have a, a piece up uh, at uh, uh, on the internet. I, I have a thousand columns on the internet, 20 years, 50 a year. And one of them was how I found God at Columbia many years ago. And I tell the story that when I was a graduate student at Columbia University, I, I, was, I was quite confused as to why bright people were teaching me nonsense. Uh, d- d- I was, uh, may I ask, where did you grow up? 
Brooklyn, New York. Okay, okay. So uh, uh, I remember thinking, how are these smart people telling me men and women are basically the same? Or how are they telling me that the United States is not morally superior to the Soviet Union? That was my field, Soviet Union and communism. And so I was walking around Columbia one day and just transfixed by this question, why am I learning such idiocy from such intelligent people? And then I had the only epiphany of my life. I've never had a theophany. God has never appeared to me. God appears to me on every page of the Torah. That's why I wrote these books. But I, I, I mean, I never had a theophany. I didn't have a road to Damascus. And I get this, this epiphany, a phrase from the Bible that I had not said since third grade in Jewish religious school just popped into my brain while walking around Columbia that day. And the phrase was, Reshit Yirat Hashem. Wisdom begins with fear of the Lord. Fear of God. Mm-hmm. And that answered, it was, it was a, I call it an epiphany because everything opened up from then on. And I realized there's no wisdom at Columbia because there's no God at Columbia. And, and I broadened this to the following. Secular society produces no wisdom. None. <laughs> and I have proof. Only, only secular people say men give birth. <laughs> not, all pe- not all secular people say it, but only secular people say it. Uh, they need to read... Deuteronomy. <laughs> Where does the title come from? It means second law, and it, it is Moses's review of what happened in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. He doesn't review Genesis. He wasn't around then. So uh, this is his summary. Now, here's an interesting example. So God gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus, and that, those are God's words of the Ten Commandments. Moses repeats the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy, but he changes one of them. He changed a tiny bit here and there, but one big change. The reason for the Sabbath. It, when God gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus, he said, the reason is I created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, and so will you. When you keep the Sabbath, it is a sign that I created the world. Hmm. Moses Moses changes the reason for the Sabbath. All the Ten Commandments are the same, but the reason is he gives a different one. Because you were slaves, and now you have a day of rest. So a, a slave doesn't work seven days a week. You must take off. Six days shall you work, and on the seventh it will be a Sabbath to the Lord. Hmm. And so it, it, he knew, speaking to these Israelites in the desert, telling them that this is a sign that God created the universe, is not going to be as powerful as now you're free, you don't have to work seven days a week. Hmm. So he changed the reason. I, I happen to love both. 
uh, reasons, but I'm, I'm partial to God's. <laughs> you, you mentioned that Deuteronomy is the summation of Exodus, and, and this is, uh, Exodus and the other books, not Genesis. Is that why you began your commentary with Exodus? I, I began with Exodus because it's, it's probably the most interesting of the five books inherently, and I wanted to get people on the road to reading all five volumes, to be perfectly honest. So I actually did it in order of popularity. The second was Genesis, which is very popular, the Garden of Eden, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, Joseph, great stories. Yes. And then Deuteronomy, and the, the least known books, I'm now finishing Numbers, the fourth book, and then the least known is Leviticus. Interestingly, though, the founders of the United States, who were truly Judeo-Christians, they were truly Hebrew-based Christians. Many of them even knew Hebrew. And they took a verse from Leviticus as the only writing they put on the Liberty Bell. Hmm. Shows you how well they knew their Bible and especially the Torah. That they would know a verse from Leviticus, which I would say three quarters of the students at Harvard could not identify what Leviticus is, let alone give you one verse from it. Indeed. By the way, Leviticus is where you have love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pause for a minute to discuss an opportunity for First Things readers. Join the Portsmouth Institute this June 9th through 11th in scenic Rhode Island for New England's premier gathering of Catholics interested in the intersection of faith and culture. This year, the Summer Symposium will explore the theme, To Cultivate and to Toil, on Profession and Vocation, featuring talks from First Things contributors Ross Douthat, Thomas Hibbs, and more. His Excellency Thomas Tobin from the Diocese of Providence and the monks of Portsmouth Abbey will celebrate Holy Mass and lead a Eucharistic procession for the Solemnity of Corpus Christi. You can learn more by visiting our website at portsmouthinstitute.org forward slash summer or by emailing institute at portsmouthabbey.org. You can use the discount code FIRSTTHINGS, all caps, for 10% off registration. That's portsmouthinstitute.org forward slash summer, or email institute at portsmouthabbey.org to learn more. At the start of Deuteronomy, Moses tells people to, quote, take possession of the land. What, what, are, what, are, the, what are the people supposed to do after they do take possession of the promised land? Well, the... The, the Torah's dream, or if you will, God's dream, was that they lead a holy life in the holy land. And all, almost all of these laws were meant to be observed in that land. I mean, obviously, many, many, most can be observed, except for the temple-based ones, can, can be observed anywhere. You can keep the Sabbath in, in Detroit, just like you can in Jerusalem. But the ideal was, God says, in effect, I would like a group of people to follow my, my ways and give an example to the world, as Isaiah put it, be a light unto the nations, 
And by the way, that uh, th- that that became the American ideal to be to be a, a what was it a bright shining light on a hill? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that th- this is this America was founded to be the second Israel, not the replacement of Israel. Yeah, that's very important for it, Christians to know that the Exodus story was crucial to to the Puritans. Totally. Uh, certainly, yep. even even down to crossing the waters. You know, uh, uh, the passage. Uh, there's there's a very important thing you, that you highlight about about justice. One another instruction that Moses gives to the people is that a judge must treat Israelites and quote unquote strangers with equal justice. Uh, that low and high get equal justice as well. Is this one common standard? Was this unique? At the time? Totally. Well, one of my arguments for the divine origins of the Torah is how unique all of this stuff is. Loving the stranger would have struck ancient societies as idiotic. <laughs> you enslave the stranger. You don't love the stranger. That, that's an absurdity. The stranger has nobody to protect him. Uh, do whatever you want with him, or, or her especially, or additionally. Uh, so, uh, I make the point over and over that there's nothing like this in the ancient world in, in any given law or teaching. And this was, uh, this, what you cited was also, is also, uh, the source of another point that I make. Social justice has nothing to do with the Bible and nothing to do with justice. And there is a law against social justice in in the Torah, and it's it, I believe it's at least in two places. Uh, you may not favor the poor man in a courtroom. Favoring the poor man is social justice. Favoring justice is justice. Mm-hmm. Social justice is not justice, which is the reason they gave it a name. If the left wanted justice, they would have said, let's pursue justice. That's a good point. They very rarely say that. They pursue social justice, which is as related to justice as people's democracy is related to democracy. <laughs> you know, the, the God of Deuteronomy uh, focuses on the Israelites. This is a parallel point. But actually, this God is quite generous to other nations, too, isn't he? Well, this is another reason I believe in the divinity of the Torah. Not only is God generous to the other nations, but he's rather unhappy with his nation. (laughs) And I, I have made the point, there is no holy text in the world that is as critical of its group as the Old Testament and the Torah specifically is of the Jews. Non-Jews come out looking at least as good as Jews in the Torah. I I, I mean, uh, who saves Moses? The non-Jewish daughter of Pharaoh. Hmm. Who is the greatest Hmm. advisor to Moses? The non-Jew Jethro, the Midianite priest. And, and it just goes on and on like that. Meanwhile, the Jews, God is disgusted with. 
wants to wipe them out because all they do is complain. If Jews wrote the text and not God in the final analysis, they would never have depicted themselves so negatively. <laughs> now, when Moses uses spies uh, in, in, his, in his leadership uh, uh, and liking the outcome of their work, is this okay in God's eyes? Well, he, he didn't like the—you mean, did Moses like the outcome of the spies' work? No, 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 the use of spies. Okay, it's a very difficult one, one to answer because when, when the spies are sent out uh, in, uh, what is it, in numbers, yeah, numbers, and the spy, and Moses recollects the story uh, in Deuteronomy, in one of the cases, God is the originator of the idea of sending spies, and in the other, it's the Israelites. So it's a very interesting which is fine. Moses is the author of Deuteronomy. I believe divinely inspired, clearly. But uh, he, he may have a different recollection uh, of, of what happened, uh, of whose idea it was. So it's a very, it's a very look, the whole, the whole spies story, which is in Numbers, is very, very fascinating. And I'll tell you why, how relevant it is to America today. So, I, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm working on numbers right now, and I'm, I'm past the spy story. So, spies are sent into Canaan to see, uh, to give a report on how to conquer Canaan. Ten of the twelve come back and say, we can't do it. They're going to they're gonna kill us. They're going to devour us. We're going to lose. Even though God had promised them that they would win, that they'd be victorious. By the way, the two, just to give you another example of, of how the Torah is so universal, the two are Joshua, who is a Hebrew, and Caleb, who is not ethnically a Hebrew. He's a Kenizzite. Uh, and, and he's a, a Kalev ben, what is it, Kalev ben, uh, I forgot the father's name, Hakanizi, the Kenizzite. Caleb, it's Caleb in Hebrew, Caleb in English. And uh, one of the commentators, I use, I've used dozens of commentators uh, to, to see what they have to say, and I'm very happy to quote others. I, I, I don't need to be the only... I want people to get the best thoughts, whether they're mine or anybody else's. One of the commentators asked, why is God so angry at the spies for saying that they won't be victorious in Canaan. And uh, he came up with a phrase, which is the benefits of reading carefully, because it's a very short thing. Despair, God is saying, this commentator said, despair is a sin. I fell in love with those three words, four words, and I now use them in speeches all over the country that you don't have the right to despair about America. Hmm. We're losing, that's true, but you cannot despair. Hmm. Washington was losing, and Churchill was losing. Every great cause was losing at some point. 
As we wrap up, there's so much more to talk about, but why is Moses denied entry into Israel? That's clear, even though the vast majority of commentators, Jewish and, and not, unfortunately did not get it right. He is not denied because he hit the rock. He is denied because he took credit for getting the water out and didn't give the credit to God. Hmm. And, and God knew as a result of that, there's a good chance if he gets into Israel that the Jews would end up worshiping Moses as much as or more than God. Hmm. And that's the reason. In Exodus, he is told to hit the rock. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. Sir. Um, I just did three hours of radio. <laughs> no, we, we appreciate your time, sir. Uh, what, you, uh, you know, so, I just want to make clear. In Exodus, he is told to hit the rock. Yes. God tells him in Numbers, take the rod. So Moses totally understandably thinks this is a repetition. I, I, I hit the rock with the rod before, and I, God wants me to do it again. That's not the sin. The sin is that he said, you rebels, talking to the Israelites, you rebels, watch how Aaron and I will bring forth water. That was the sin. Big mistake. Why, uh, why does God insist, and this is another piece of wisdom that has been forgotten, as you say, why does God insist that we never add to what God has commanded? Hmm. That is one, I'm glad you picked that up. Uh, most people just, their eyes sort of glaze over that. Hmm. Do not add or subtract from my laws. This, the, my, my dear friend who also teaches Torah, Dr. Stephen Marmer, a psychiatrist, uh, he, it's his, I think it's his favorite verse in the Torah <laughs> because he says it's so widely violated. Indeed. Uh, a lot of religious people want to add, uh, thinking that the more laws, the holier they are. Like the hair shirt in, in, in the medieval church. I, I am going to go beyond the call of duty and, you know, punish myself. There's, there, there, is a, there is a tendency in religious people to keep adding to prove how religious they are. And there's a tendency in the more liberal-minded to drop because they, they don't, they, they don't want to be bothered no by No rules, it. man. Yeah, no rules, man. Right. <laughs> So, uh, the uh, I, I want to highlight for our listeners that the Rational Bible Project can be really understood as as a as an often used reference work that that this can be consulted uh, haphazardly as one reads the Bible apart from reading them uh, straight through. Hold on to them. Uh, our our book today was Deuteronomy, the latest entry in the Rational Bible Project. Dennis Prager, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's a joy to be with you. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.